Hey there, educational rock stars. Are you feeling overwhelmed with lesson planning for your English language learners? Well, I've got some exciting news for you. Introducing our upcoming free webinar, Simplify Your Approach, Three Time-Saving Routines for ELL Success. Join me for a power-packed 45 minutes that's set to revolutionize your teaching strategy. In this webinar, we'll dive into three practical, easy-to-implement routines that will not only enhance your ELL teaching methods, but also save you hours of planning time. Yes, hours. So whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, these insights are tailored to help everyone make the most of their teaching time. Plus, you'll leave this webinar ready to implement these routines the next day. So mark your calendars for our two upcoming dates. I don't want you to miss this opportunity to transform your ELL lesson planning. To reserve your spot, simply sign up at www.equippingells.com slash routines. Trust me, your future self will thank you for it. I'll see you at the webinar. Teaching ELL students is a privilege and a joy. Is it easy? No way. But with the right support, you can feel empowered to tackle each day with ease and confidence. I'm your host, Beth Boucher, founder of Inspiring Young Learners. With over 10 years of teaching both nationally and internationally, I know what it takes to ensure that your ELL students have what they need to thrive today, tomorrow, and for life. I'm on a mission to empower you to equip your English language learners. Welcome to Equipping ELLs. Let's get to today's episode. Hey there, and thanks for listening to another episode of Equipping ELLs. Just wanted to give you a heads up that Leslie's sound quality is a little distorted at the beginning of our interview, but hang in there because it improves throughout the episode. And I promise this interview is so worth it. You are going to want to listen to everything Leslie has to share with us. Also, I wanted to share with you to check in the show notes because I have a free co-teaching survey to help you get started working with homeroom teachers and working together to co-teach and help support your English language learners. So check that out in the show notes. Well, hey there, Leslie. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Beth. How are you doing? Doing well. I'm so glad to have you back. I'm sure I'm going to have you back again because you are just my go-to gal for so many different things. So (laughs) Leslie was on the show last September, I believe it was, um, sharing with us about high-frequency words and how to really help our ELLs with that. And it was an amazing episode. We'll link that in the show notes if you missed that first episode with Leslie. And now she's back again to share with us all about co-teaching. And this is going to be a good episode because I know a lot of teachers out there want to start implementing more co-teaching, doing more pushing in, but aren't really sure where to begin. So Leslie is an expert in this and is going to be sharing with us more about it today. So why don't you start with just giving us a little background of what you're doing right now, what um, what grades you're working with and where you're at. Sounds good. So I work in a good size school. There are about 1500 kids in our school. So it's actually a really large school, but it's the whole district on one campus. And I primarily work with kindergarten, first and second grade, although I've done all the grades and every year can be a little bit different depending on our population. 
I've been the ENL teacher in that district for 10 plus years and have done all pull out to get started. And then in 2015, New York State changed their ENL laws. It's called CR Part 154 and required some or all of the instruction for our ENL students to be co taught. So it was a big change, but I've been doing it, I think fairly successfully. I've done a lot of different models and different ways to do it. So I'd love to talk about it, especially if people are hoping to try it or if districts are encouraging it, or maybe even if the laws are changing in your state, how to manage it. Absolutely. And that's why I'm excited to have you on today because you've kind of seen all the different sides and different you know, ways of supporting ELL. So why don't you start with just sharing a little bit about what you've seen as, you know, the successes of co-teaching, if you've seen that it's been a better way to support your ELLs over a push-in, pull-out model where you have a little bit um, either just pulling out completely or doing a little bit of both, you've seen some success with doing the co-teaching model. So why don't you share a little bit about that? Absolutely. I really love the co-teaching model. I also love to be pulling out my students. And sometimes I like to just do a push-in and you really have to delineate between what a push-in and a co-teach is. So I would like to get started with that, if that's okay. Yes. So those, uh, they, people, teachers will say, oh, she's pushing in. But most of my teachers actually will come back and say, no, she co-teaches. And the difference there is that we co-plan every single week and we develop the lessons together I'm responsible for some of the preparation. A lot of times it's me making the scaffolds to help my students reach that grade level work. Sometimes I just take the whole lesson and say, hey, I'll take it and for all learners. Sometimes it's prepared well in advance and I come in and we co-present every day. But a push-in is more when you go into the room, you're not necessarily planning ahead of time, you may have some knowledge of what you're doing and maybe you're, it's more by the seat of your pants or this is what I'm doing today. I go to the centers and whatever the teacher's having them do, I'm pushing in and helping the students with that. And there are benefits to all of them. Absolutely. I love, I love defining the difference between the co-teaching and the push-in because I think that is a a necessary place to begin um, because they're not the same. So have you found that as you're doing the planning with the teacher, you're feeling less stress as you're going into support. I mean, sometimes, you know, I feel like that is what adds a lot of stress onto the teachers is kind of having to do this push in model and kind of just go with whatever the teacher's assigning them. So have you seen what, what's been your experience as you've done a lot more of that front load and that, that planning ahead of time? How has that helped you approach those lessons? Well, it definitely has been amazing because it's less of that fly by the seat of your pants, like come on in. And I used to feel like Kramer from Seinfeld. I know it's an old (laughs) reference, (laughs) but literally boing in the door and just be like, Hey, I'm here. And what show do you need me to put on today for them? And it's not an effective use of my time. Right. It really yeah. is not. I am a certified teacher. I have a lot of experience in learning how to scaffold things for my students and for all students. 
And it doesn't really put me in a position to effectively teach when I push in and need to present without any background, or I'm just taking the assignment and looking at it for the first time there. So really the benefits are being prepared and having the scaffolds prepared ahead of time thoughtfully. Sometimes it's just, I built a sentence frame for the student on a piece of paper and then they can share, or I picked a question that my students will be answering, or now we have a better graphic organizer because I made it ahead of time for students. But it's not just better for me as the teacher, it's better for the students because they will get more from the lesson, obviously, if I have things prepared ahead of time. I have vocabulary pulled out. I'm not just incidentally looking through something and going, oh, you'll need to know that. I would say that's the biggest benefit. Does it add a little more stress as far as preparation time as a teacher? Absolutely. If I push in, I don't have to prep. Yeah. But if I'm co-teaching, I'll tell you what, I have most of my co-teaching planning lessons on Thursdays, Tuesdays, what, you know, sometime during the week and I leave with a list. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot that's added to my plate. However, I'm happy for that list yeah. because yeah. I've targeted the areas that my students will need help where the whole class will need some help, how to get there. And especially if you're working in different types of classrooms, like one of my classrooms this year is a co-taught class with half the students have special needs in the class mm. or have an IEP. So really the work that I'm doing is benefiting most of that class and helping them access the content Absolutely, and do the work. I mean, if that's, we could just end the episode right here. I think we're all, we're all on board with uh, wanting to have more co-teaching happening after that explanation, even though it's like, you're saying it's more work of the planning part, but like you said, you're a certified teacher that is meant to be using the knowledge and expertise you have in the classroom and in the push and model, that's not always the case. That's rarely the case. You know, you're more just kind of have to go with what the teacher's giving. So I love seeing that shift happen where it feels being... like you're an aid. Yeah, yeah exactly. Pushing yeah. In. Exactly. And, and it um, doesn't feel valuable. Right. Sometimes because it's an great. aid could do that. An aid with, you know, a few different scaffolds could do the job that you're doing. Yes. In a well-qualified aid. Yes. Who maybe has worked with your students for a little while could be doing that, but it really does not maximize the teaching power that is in the classroom when you have co-planning, co-thought out lessons and are on the same page. Exactly. Now, that being said, it takes a lot to get to that place. Yes. Where and that's what we're really going to get out. into. Yes, because I think most <laughs> ESL teachers are saying, yes, I want to use my power that I have. I want to use my training that I've I've done but how do we get there? So, you know, because co-teaching, you know, begins, it has to begin with a respectful relationship with homeroom teachers, that that mutual respect has to be the beginning place. And Absolutely. maybe it's a good thing that New York just said, all right, we're, we're doing this and this is what's happening because it probably forced some of the homeroom teachers to get on board because it was what was mandated. So why don't you oh, share a little absolutely. bit about how to get started with building that respect with the homeroom teachers? Sure. So even if I bring it back to what happened in 2015, we knew a a year ahead of time that this mandate was coming out. 
So the best thing that I could do was actually experiment and find a teacher on my caseload who was willing, you know, don't bite off more than you can chew Yeah. is. <laughs> so the first year I just, I had a teacher, it was in first time working with her. I said, you know what, in a year, I'm going to need to be co-teaching all my classes. Would you mind if I did that with you this year? And she was on board and you know what, we had a great time. It wasn't perfect, mm-hmm. but I loved getting to know her. I felt like I walked into a master class every day because the teachers have so much to offer as far as just, oh, wow, that's how a great management technique. Oh, mm-hmm. that's a great opportunity right there to do turn in talks or the pacings of the lessons. And the greatest thing I learned was what do my students look like in the general classroom environment? Mm-hmm. And how are they behaving in that environment? How do we need to make that environment a safe place for them to be contributing and also a place where they can be successful. And I feel like I was somewhat disconnected from that because I was doing pull outs and you don't really have that authentic lens when you're only doing the pull outs. And it's been a huge benefit for me to really pinpoint the exact needs of the students because ultimately My goal is that they don't need me anymore and that they're full-time in that classroom. So being able to work with a teacher, see exactly what the work is that they need to do in that room, and then plan how to get them to be able to do that has been amazing. Absolutely, Not without its bumps, of course, Mm -hmm. and lots and lots of learning on my end, but I really loved it. I did want to start with a couple of quick tips, if you can. Let's go observe in the classroom before you start co-teaching, get to know your teacher and find out by observing what are their management strategies? Mm -hmm. What sort of noise do they tolerate in their room? What does the learning look like in their room? How do they structure the lessons? Where do they need your help? So you ask a lot of questions because often, you know, if I come in and say, this is what I can do that might not be what they're actually hoping to see from you. And Mm. so working together to figure out what the best fit is, is really helpful for both the teacher, but it also helps the teacher know that you're there for them and the students like, Oh, they're, they want to know what I need. It's not about me necessarily. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So definitely I, Uh, This year, I had a new co-teaching partner. It was going into this co-taught classroom. Both teachers are new to the district and new to each other. And then I needed to come in and I had, let me see, a transitioning, entering an emerging level student in in that classroom. And there are a lot of needs beyond with the various IEPs in the classroom. The good thing is, is that I've been teaching in second grade for many, many years. So I'm actually the content expert for the grade. And when we get together and plan, I know the flow of the unit. I understand. I already have a ton of resources that I can offer, but it's a fresh lens on that content and the grade because we do need to do way more scaffolding and sometimes tighten up the lessons that the other classroom I normally teach in doesn't need that quite as much as a gen ed classroom. And it's just a little bit different, but I definitely observed for about a week to get a handle on how they, what the flow is like in their classroom, how they're working with various students 
and helped me not just walk in and have, okay, this is how it's going to be. It was really helpful. And I love that because you could do that. I mean, you've been in the district, you've done this position for a while. So I think it could be natural to just, okay, you're new. Let me tell you how this works. So I think that that's such a valuable tip to still, you know, just take that time to observe and to see that each teacher, their classroom management is going to be different. Like you're saying, what they tolerate is different. Their noise level, how they perceive you as you come in, what that looks like. So I think that's so valuable to take the time first to observe and then to take the time to have those conversations, to ask those questions, to be aligned and on the same page. I think that's so critical to begin there. And I know you, you've done a training in our membership equipping LLs before. And I thought some of the other things that you've mentioned were just so important of, of knowing the communication styles, you know, with each teacher. Is it through email? Absolutely. Is it through text message? Is it, you know, when do they prefer to meet? Is it before school? Is it after school? And maybe you can get into a little of that of, of what sure. are some things that, you know, I know there's many listeners who want to really get on board with this, but they don't have the support yet of their administration. So what would you say are some ways that they can advocate for this co-teaching model? For example, like we need a planning time together. So what are those things oh, that yes. you feel like are so essential to the success of the co-teaching model to work? So first and foremost, when I start off with a new co-teacher, I definitely try to explain to them, you have to explain what the minutes look like, like what's required of you Mm -hmm. as an ENL teacher. So in New York, it's pretty complex and this is how much they'll need and, you know, bring out the little spreadsheet or, you know, infographic that you have from your state and explain that because often the teachers don't fully understand that. Yeah. Then also making sure that you have a co-planning time that is a sacred time every week. And if, if someone needs to cancel that it gets rescheduled Mm. Um, or you agree on a way to communicate about that. Maybe I have one teacher I've taught with her so many years that now she can send me pictures of her plan book. And if we have to cancel But really that co-planning every single week has been vital. It doesn't need to be more than a half an hour. Mm -hmm. The first time I meet with somebody though, we're not talking about plans. I have a little questionnaire that I use. Like, do you like salty snacks or sweet snacks? Do you have kids, no kids, pets? Um, What's your management style? Just those getting to know you questions, because Mm -hmm. ultimately we're two people and two professionals who now have to form a relationship. So Mm -hmm. just like you have to get to know your ENL students when they first come in and you need to do it quickly, do this with your co-teachers. And if you take the lead on that, they will also go, wow, okay, this is a professional. Um, She knows what she's doing or he knows what she's doing, he's doing, and it can go much more smoothly. Now, that being said, I don't always remember whether they like dark chocolate (laughs) or milk chocolate, but it's just having those conversations that opens it up and you get to know their personality a little bit and realize at the end of the day, we are just going to need to care about each other. Yeah. And you always have to approach that person with grace and kindness and realize we are all trying our best. Yes. I think I've found that a lot of teachers 
especially young new teachers, some of them are super thrilled to have you in and like, please help in any way you can. Like recently I did like a little, I call it boot camp. It's not really boot camp because I'm nice about it, but introducing some new management techniques to a first grade teacher. It's her mm-hmm. first year having her own classroom. And, but I had to feel that out and say, Hey, I'm noticing it's a little chaotic. And I know my students in your class are, there's just a lot of noise when we're doing this certain activity. Would you be interested? I think I have some thoughts about maybe how it could run a little bit differently. Is that okay? Now that's me having done this for 10 years. And also all of these management techniques are not anything I thought up. They're things I'm seeing in all the classrooms that I'm in. And I feel like that's the best part of my job is being able to see how to run your classroom and have all of these ideas and experts, but really respecting too that people often feel like, especially, you know, when your admin comes to observe, you get nervous. So sometimes people are nervous that you're there yeah, because you're somebody observing, but understanding and really explaining like, this is a non-judgment zone. We are Mm -hmm. working together. Sometimes I'm going to be a hot mess and And I may see something that you're not on your best day, but I'm not here to judge. Mm -hmm. I'm here just to help and support. And that lens has always benefited me. It didn't come naturally always in certain environments. I might've gotten my feathers ruffled or (laughs) been a little upset if something, you know, co-planning times weren't being happening, but it's also that setting that expectation ahead of time. And, and again, giving the grace. Absolutely. Yes. And assuming your best intent with, with everybody you're working with, I think that's so, yeah, just, I love what you said about that. It's so important to approach people that way um, with kindness. And there's a lot going on in the teaching world right now and a lot of pressure on every, every teacher. So just coming in with grace, like you're saying is so important. Why don't you walk us through one? I would love to know how many planning times you have each week. And what do those, you know, what would a typical planning session look like? Because I know in my experience, sometimes our planning meetings would just kind of get off track or, you know, we, I, I just feel like having a really clear set, like you're saying 30 minutes, no more. What can you cover? What do you recommend to cover during that time so that you're really maximizing your time together? Because that's such a critical piece of this working well. Definitely. The co-plan is vital and it looks pretty similar in most of my co-planning sessions. Really, we start off with how are you doing? Mm -hmm. I'm a people first, human first person. I'm all about that relationship with my students, with my teachers. That trust has to be there. Anything major going on in your life that you need to share or something and that it, it just helps. But limit that talk because you don't have two hours, I think we could all sit down and just (laughs) hash it out. So knowing that, okay, we have a few things to cover. Some people like to structure their meetings um, and maybe have it like blocked out with times. Let's do chit chat for five minutes. And then normally I go in, let's talk about the students. How are the students doing? Any red flags you're seeing, any wins, any challenges, anywhere you need a little bit of assistance from me, or we just talk through that. And then often we get right into the planning of what's happening this week. So we go through the lessons. What's the big goal for that? What are the standards we're hitting? And okay, what are the resources that you're planning to use in that? 
And then I might make some suggestions. Oh, I could make some vocabulary for that. Can I start the lesson? We talk about the structure of the lesson. Maybe I'm starting with a pre-going vocabulary. Maybe when I come in, I'll do a quick brain break for the kids because it's a transition when I come in. And it can look very different in how you're actually going to be presenting or what it looks like in that classroom. So I will say that most of my classrooms, I am co-presenting with the teacher, but sometimes we also will run centers. Um, I have one class where we're trying, we're doing the co-present, we're trying to 25 minutes, be done, and then move into centers where I can take my students and work on the grade level work with them Mm -hmm. just to maximize the opportunities for me to work with my students. They also have pullout times though. So it's really that structure. How are we, what's it going to look like? And it's going to look different. You know, lots of classrooms, the teacher might be during their ELA center blocks. So they want you to come in and run a couple of centers. And that's going to look a little bit different than co-presenting content. Uh, For instance, in kindergarten, we do morning meeting together. And it's a great opportunity to be forming complete sentences. Sometimes we will... Uh, we used to do little lessons on pronouns and, you know, days of the week, the calendar time, that can be very valuable for the students. It's also following directions, listening skills, but we've incorporated the whole group phonics work into those lessons where we're doing the ABCs, we do high frequency words, and we do our phonological awareness lessons during that time. And now my students are really struggling with that phonological awareness piece. I actually pull them aside and do an abbreviated focused lesson with them for about five minutes during that co-teach time. And then we all come back together. So it can look a lot different, but that co-planning time, again, breaking it down, making sure you're addressing the human needs first, talk about the students, and then go right into what are the lessons going to look like? What are you hitting this week? Where do we need to go? I love that. That is so, so helpful to remember to focus on the students first, do a quick check-in. I think that's critical. Um, And I love, you know, just going back to what you shared earlier of how you kind of had, you didn't see the whole picture because you didn't see your students in the homeroom classroom. And I remember, you know, many times where I would have students with me in pullout sessions and they were great. They were super engaged. They were happy. And then talking with the homeroom teacher, they would say, oh yeah, I'm having so many behavior issues with this child. And it was hard to have that, you know, it was such a disconnect because it was just a different environment. For them. So I think that's really important to be able to support the student in the classroom so that you are helping the homeroom teacher build the relationship with the student, the rapport that you might already have. And so that you can help them adjust to, like you said, you know, the whole goal is that they, they need, they don't need you, that they're in the homeroom classroom completely without the support. So I just want to bring that point back up again, because I think it's so critical that we do, you know, the beauty of the co-teaching model um, over a pullout completely. And like you're saying, I think that, you know, sometimes we like to swing to one side, swing to the other, but they're still good in doing a pullout, whether it's pulling out that small group in the classroom or pulling out at a different time, but they're getting both the modeling in the classroom, the co-teaching all the students are benefiting from your expertise of language support because we know all of our students need that extra boost of language, even if they're not ELL learners. But there is purpose as well in doing a small pullout group, intensive 
you know, explicit teaching of a specific topic or vocabulary or grammar, whatever it might be. So I think it's important to make sure that people are aware of that, that it's not just, okay, we can only do co-teaching. I can't meet with my students. Oh, uh, you no. know, I think sometimes people are taking it that way too. So I'm glad that you shared. Well, and it, our regulations in New York state say that an expanding level student only required is required to have all co-teaching mm-hmm. 180 minutes a week. So maybe I tried that one year and not so great. The student was really still struggling. And it's because they still need those specific uh, language objective taught lessons in your classroom. And it doesn't mean they have to come out every day. It just means that you have to be mindful of that and continue to structure your schedule in a way that provides for that. That being said, mixing in co-teaching to your schedule in addition to the pullouts can be very challenging. Yes. I I am restructuring. Yeah. I'm restructuring my schedule mid-year. I haven't changed any of uh, co-teaching times, but I needed to rework some of my polls and it took me a month to really wrap my brain around it and plan with the teacher and get to the bottom. Like, okay, what is exactly the time that would be okay to do this? And I have to say, it's not great. I had to sacrifice some co-teaching time with my kindergarten teacher. And I don't love that, but I also know that the students really need that pull out one-on-one time. So we had to look at what the overall objectives are for the students. And at this point in the year, they need, more intensive ENL work. And, you know, I'm a certified teacher. It's valuable time. And the teacher understands that. But that structure of your schedule can, with the co-teaching can be so challenging. And it depends in your district who's making that schedule. I'm in charge of my own schedule. And it takes me several weeks at the beginning of the year to get it right mm-hmm. and tweaking it and, oh, this isn't quite the best time, it it can be really difficult, especially in a school where maybe all my second graders are going out to lunch at the exact same time. So it really leaves very little time for me to pull them. And then I always have that time open. And it turns out this year, no one else is available during that time. They all had either specials or lunch at that time. Well, okay, so that's a time that I can take my lunch or I can be co-planning. Yeah. But again, you have to really look also at yourself as a teacher that you are making sure that you're getting your planning times, which I've strongly advocated that the co-planning time with my teacher is not my plan time. That's true. And it's difficult. Some principals and will say, no, that's planning time. So that counts as your contractual planning time. But this year I have, let me see, one kindergarten room, two first grade rooms, three second grade rooms, and then another kindergartner that I'm consulting on. So if I have to co-plan with all of those different teachers, that is about two and a half to about two and a half hours out of my week. And as opposed to the homeroom teacher who that's just a half hour. Right. So we've definitely gone back and said, wait a minute, let's take a look at that again. And you have to make sure you're getting a lunch. Don't sacrifice your lunch (laughs) and don't sacrifice some of that at that planning time for yourself. Absolutely. So do you going just to clarify that with, you know, you said you have three home or you have three second grade classes that you're working with. 
Do you do one-on-one co-planning with each of those teachers or do you meet with all three of them? Well, actually now, hmm, that's a really good question. So I co-teach in two of those rooms because I did not have time in my schedule to co-teach in the third room. So that child walks to ELA. It's just across the hall. I've worked with that teacher before. She's very comfortable with it. He comes for the ELA content lesson in the other classroom. And so I'm doing two co-plans in second grade, one with a teacher I've worked with for about seven years. It's very smooth. She usually takes my transitioning, expanding, and commanding students. And then the other teacher, um, which is that co-taught room, has the lower level students this year, two of whom have an IEP. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) We might have to have (laughs) Leslie on to share about setting up your schedule when we come come back to school Uh because that sounds like it's a lot. I mean, scheduling is just a lot to be. It really is. I could give you some great tips about just make sure that you use Excel or Google Sheets and lay all the schedules out in 15 minute increments, all your teacher's schedules in a row. So, and then block them all out the areas that you cannot co-teach or pull from like specials or Mm -hmm. lunches or math. And then you can look at it more visually and see holes like, and start piecing things together. I use post-it notes sometimes. Sometimes it's literally just working with another ENL teacher in your district to say, Hey, I need some help. Yeah. We usually consult with each other at the beginning of the year to, to help each other figure it out. That's quite the puzzle putting together. <laughs> yeah. So to end, we're, we're running out of time here, Leslie, this is so, so helpful. So to end, I guess let's just, you know, walking through for those listeners who are still doing mostly push and pull out model, and they're interested in getting started with co-teaching, kind of reiterating what you said. One, you really have to advocate for yourself here. You have to know what your students' laws are that, you know, by the state. Um, yeah. so I think that's a really crucial place to begin to go to your administrator and say, hey, this is the hours they need. Here's planning time I need. Here's research behind. There's a lot more research coming out showing the benefits and the success rates of the students when they're in a co-teaching model over a push and pull out. I just saw a report the other day about that. And so kind of bringing this first to begin to advocate for yourself, for your students, and really kind of finding that one teacher that is interested, that is on board, that wants to try this as well. Yeah. Jen Manning, she was my first, first one. And I didn't teach with her every year, but throughout the years, we talked together a number of times. I really respect her a lot for allowing me to come in and she was my, you know, an experiment and she had taught co-taught classes before. So this wasn't completely new to her. So that's also helpful. helpful. Absolutely. So that she understands the flow of it. And I would say too, just realize this can be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It makes my job really interesting. So this year I'm co-teaching in five classrooms. That's uh, between 80 and 100 students that I get to work with every year. And I love it. I get to know all the students. I get to know those relationships that the kids are having. And it's just it's fun for me, but it also the my students see that I'm 
a real, I'm putting air quotes, real teacher. Yeah. They don't even, because my kids are so little, they don't even realize that they're in English learner <laughs> class. And yeah. sometimes I have to have a real discussion with them. Like, you know, I speak Spanish at home. That's why I'm here. Mm-hmm. And they, what? They have no <laughs> idea. But that's also because it's more, it, they see it as a seamless. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm just, a, I'm their ELA teacher. Yeah. And they enjoy it. And, and I do too. So there's a lot of benefits. It is a challenge, but then find that one and you don't have to be best friends. You have to be mutually respectful, give each other that grace, assume good intentions on everyone's and try it out. Absolutely. Wow. Thank you so much, Leslie. This was so packed full of just really helpful tips to get people started. So I know they're going to appreciate this. Oh, I hope so. And I feel like we just, it was like the tip of the iceberg on co-teaching. So yeah, you know, there's so much more to do and, you know, people have questions. I certainly would try to answer them, but yeah, it's unique for every teacher on how they're doing it, but yes, approach it as like, this is going to be fun. Absolutely. I think, yeah, I think the mindset on that it's, it's worth it. It's worth it to put in the work to make it happen. It's going to be more rewarding in the end, I think. Absolutely. absolutely. So. All right. Thanks so much, Leslie. You're all right. Thanks a lot, Beth. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me in today's episode. All links and resources mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you're looking for even more support and done-for-you resources created specifically for the needs of ELLs, head to inspiringyounglearners.com. I'll catch you here next week. Until then, take that next step to keep equipping your ELLs.